MS sucks. I know. I've lived with it since 1998, and man, it's been one hell of a roller coaster. When people ask, how are you doing? I say, fine. Great. Really? Most of the time, it's a lie, because we're programmed to hide our struggles. I'm not a doctor or a researcher. I'm just a normal guy talking from experience. And let me tell you, sharing those experiences with other people living with MS has made my life a hundred times better. So get ready for a belly up to the bar, honest conversation with real people who at first hesitate to tell the truth about life with MS, but eventually let it all hang out. I'm your host, Jim Fairchild. How you really doing? Have you ever driven through a tunnel and tried to hold your breath the whole time? You know, I grew up in Colorado, and as kids, my sister and I would do this all the time as we were driving through the mountains of Colorado. And there was those short tunnels where it was very easy to hold your breath. Of course, we would always have my mom honk her horn at the same time because that was part of our tradition, as well as trying to hold our breath and lifting up our feet off the ground as well, which is another thing we added. But of course, driving through those longer tunnels is tougher to hold your breath the whole time. And at times, it seems like you're never going to get out of that tunnel and actually see the light again, or actually get to breathe again. And this has been a good analogy this summer. Actually, this has been a good analogy over the 17 years that I've had MS, because I've had relapses that are very easy to get through. I say easy now, but because they're so short compared to what my relapses are today. You know, so those are the short tunnels that I have gone through. And then as I've gotten more progressed with my MS, the tunnels have become longer and it sometimes seems like I'm never going to get out of the tunnel. This summer, I went through a whole different type of tunnel. It was a much, much longer tunnel. And being from Colorado, I would compare it to the Eisenhower tunnel, which is at the top of the Continental Divide as you're driving from Denver over to where the ski areas are. The Eisenhower Tunnel is over a mile and a half long. So my sister and I would try to hold our breath, but we would never make it very far. And it's just like trying to get through a really tough exacerbation. You think you're doing okay and you're trying to make it through, but it just doesn't seem like you're ever going to get out of there. It is so dang frustrating when you're stuck in a tunnel and not sure what's going to happen next, not sure how you're going to get out or what it's going to be like when you get out. I am very thankful right now that I have gotten out of my Eisenhower-like exacerbation this summer, and it really wasn't a total exacerbation. It was a combination of a lot of things that I'm going to share with you. And I've got to say that it has taken me a long time to get back to podcasting. Last one I did was in April, and it is October right now. And there's been so many different things that have happened this summer that at one point I've had about 10 pages of notes that I wanted to share with you guys. And that would have been about a three-hour podcast, so way too long. But right now I am sitting here in the in front of the microphone with a lot of anxiety and my fatigue has been so bad that I have found every excuse not to be here, but I am doing this for a couple of reasons. One is that 
I need to do this for myself because I am worthy to get this message out. And I will explain the importance of that worthiness statement as I go on. And also I'm doing this because I think that a lot of people listening will get a lot out of what I have learned this summer. And I want to share that with everybody. So I'm going to do this and it may take me a couple days to actually make it through this podcast with my fatigue and anxiety. I'm going to have to be stopping. So if it sounds a little bit funny, that's because I have to stop and start at different times, but it's going to happen. And here we go. You know, there are so many aspects to my MS that I am constantly majoring. Uh, The drugs I'm on, what I eat, what I don't eat, how do my legs feel today? How does my brain feel? Can I do this? Can I not do it? My hands are numb. What vitamins should I take? It's time to eat. What should I eat? I have doctor appointments. Am I making the right doctor appointments? Oh my God, I forgot that one. Uh, Trying to get things done throughout the day. Exercise. Can I do it? If I do that exercise, is it going to make me too tired for the rest of the day? Um, How should I act around certain people? And so on and so on and so on, right? Well, in the 17 years that I have had MS, I have come up with a recipe that puts all these ingredients together and hopefully uh, it makes the best me I can be. Well, it works sometimes. Uh, I am so hyper aware of my body at every step you know, that I drive myself nuts. As soon as I put my feet on the floor, no wait, I lied. You know, as soon as I open my eyes in the morning, I am measuring, quantifying, and justifying how I am doing. You know, where is my MS today? What can I do today? You know, what worked yesterday and what didn't work? I keep notes on my iPhone about thoughts and logging my MS that help me try to refine my recipe all the time because it changes along with how my MS is doing. Just like a New Year's resolution, my recipe works well when I'm able to follow it, but when I'm fatigued or depressed, then you know everything shifts. You know, this may be hard for you to imagine, but I am an emotional guy. I know it's crazy, but with me, it's all about feelings. And it has been ever since I was a kid. You know, I feel something, then I analyze it, and then it ruminates around in my head and I replay it and then I feel something again and then I compare it to the other feeling I had and then I analyze those two and then I go back to it and then I replay it and so on and so on and so on and that's why this work with Angela has been so important because I have so many things that are ruminating around in my head that are creating the feelings that I'm having today are creating you know, my body is, is just a piece of who I am today. You know, sometimes I feel like my skull is a phone booth with thousands of marbles bouncing all around inside randomly. There's blue marbles with my good feelings, red marbles, which is anger, you know, black marbles, which is disease. Then there's, of course, orange marbles, which are for my beloved Denver Broncos. Well, it's for that, but it's also for the passions I have in life, you know, but It doesn't seem like right now there's enough orange marbles in this chaotic phone booth pinball machine. On top of all the marbles in my skull, I continually beat myself up with my negative self-talk. And this is probably the biggest thing that keeps me down. You know, I am like the Muhammad Ali in the boxing ring of my mind. You know, I started my boxing career in the Golden Gloves uh, during my adolescence, uh, then went to college and I entered the pros. And then over the course of the next 30 years, I have been 
battered, bruised, and even sent to the hospital during my rise to the championship in my self-defeating talk. For instance, when I can't do something because my legs aren't working, I feel like a failure, you know, uppercut to the chin. When I am in a group and my mind goes blank, I get embarrassed and I tell myself I'm an idiot, body blow to the kidneys. When I do something half-ass, I think, eh, it's okay. I'm handicapped, so people don't really expect any more from me. Ugh, jab to the nose. I try to make a family decision or discipline my kids, and I can't remember my thoughts. You know, I think I'm a failure as a man, a husband, a dad. Ugh, right hook to the ribs. And here is a quick snippet into the mind of Jim Fairchild doing the simplest of things. The other day I was writing a check. And as I pick up the pen, my fingers don't work. So I start thinking, oh, Jesus, this is getting worse. I try to write with the pen and I drop it. Oh, my God, am I always going to be like this? I'll never be able to write again. This is not going to work. And then I get the first letter uh, written in the check. And I think, oh, my God, this is so ugly. This isn't the way I want people to think of me as when they look at this check. Uh, I write a little bit longer and... Then I misspell a word. I'm like, oh my God, I'm such an idiot. I can never do this. It goes on and on. And that was just writing a check. I mean, my God, Muhammad Ali, this is like rumble in the jungle. I am just beating myself up so bad in my mind that I am missing all the good stuff. The thing here is I would never want my daughters to talk to themselves the way I talk to myself. How can I be the best I can be if I am literally bullying myself every step. I always tell my daughters that you need to stand up for who you are, that you don't let somebody else beat you down. Well, what if you're the one beating yourself down? That's where I'm at. I need to stand up for myself, but I haven't known who I am. I lost my self-worth a long time ago. I haven't been able to take it back until now. And I'll tell you what, I'm scared. I'm nervous. As I go through this and as I am continuing this process, I look at these things and I'm like, yeah, I can do that. You know, that's, I envision who I want to be. And I'm like, yeah, I can do that. And then it comes time to do something and I feel fear. I feel fear to even do the simplest things. Even though I have all the support around me, all the things are in order for it to happen correctly. I am scared because it's not the way I've done things my whole life. You know, I guess I could say this has been like a personal discovery summer of epic proportion for me. Uh, man, it has not been easy, but in the end, it has been very worth it. Uh, it's kind of been a summer of choices. Uh, I, I chose in June to... Try a hyperbaric oxygen treatment, uh, which has proven to be very good, but it was very tough uh, going through that. Uh, I, I chose that because I want my body back. Don't we all want our body back? You know, and I'm, I'm looking for that part that is going to help me with that. Uh, you know, I, I also made a choice about nine months ago to dig deep into my mind uh, and my emotional state, because I have been missing something for a long time, I guess you could say. Uh, you know, I've had a dark cloud over my heart, is the way I see it, and it's kind of seriously scaring me. Um, about nine months ago, 
you know, I was at a place where nothing was making me happy. You know, everything I did, uh, everything that usually made me happy was just drudgery. Um, the things I love most, like watching football and, and drinking beer with my friends, was not filling me up. Being with my family was, it was just really hard. And I'll, and again, I'll, I'll explain more as we go. But, um, you know, I was never suicidal during this time. But I knew that I, I literally just couldn't go on the rest of my life feeling as dead inside as I was. And so I found a life coach. I found a life coach that uh, was has helped me figure out what has been going on uh, with me once and for all. And I say once and for all, but it is a continual process. But I have made a ton of progress in the last year, more so than I have with any other counselors uh, throughout my life. The thing that has been important for me is that I need tools to deal with the frustrations and anger that I have every day regarding my MS. And so I found a personal development coach by the name of Angela Carey, who has literally changed my life. And I'm not just saying that lightly. It, it is true. Uh, you know, she has guided me uh, through the process of becoming more aware of myself and more mindful of my beliefs and how my beliefs and emotions are held so deeply in my body and can affect my physical being can affect how I'm feeling can affect all of this uh, because I am a true believer in the power of the mind and that our bodies are able to heal you know given the right tools I have held on to so many things from my past that have been toxic for my body you know putting my body in dis-ease and adding to my MS disease uh, the work I've done with Angela isn't the type of treatment my neurologist would ever prescribe. You know, it's not proven to stop the progression of MS or decrease lesions, but I know it is helping me heal. And when I say heal, I mean that, yes, I'm still behind my walker and my fatigue is still horrible. Um, it affects me every day. My hands are numb. My bladder is really bad. But I have been cleaning out the skeletons in my attic that have been rumbling around for so long and not allowing me to accept where I'm at with my MS and not allowing me to enjoy the life I have even though I have MS. So Angela has actually taken me back through my past and helped me differentiate between the lies that I have always believed about myself and that the truth that has always been there. You know, we all have a past, the good and the bad, the wonderful, the rotten, and I have so many wonderful parts of my life, but the dark cloud over my heart was the rotten parts that were like black tar sticking to my bones. And those were the things that were prevalent in my thoughts. Instead of thinking about the good things, I have had very, very bad habits of repeating the bad stuff and man that's no fun that's no fun for anybody who the heck wants to do that uh you know a big part that has defined me uh is when my mom married a guy uh when i was 14 who i would say is best described with one word evil i mean he 
You know, he wasn't physically abusive. I'd like to say he's too small and weaselly to be that. But uh, he was verbally abusive. And he was just a emotional vampire that sucked the life out of me, my sister, my mom. I was at a very vulnerable age. I was 14 years old where my friends meant everything. And I needed room to grow into myself, you know, to figure out who I was, right? That's what 14-year-olds need to do. You know, with this guy, my thoughts were diminished. My ideas were dismissed. I went from living in uh, a place, even though I had a single mom that was struggling, uh, you know, making ends meet, uh, I was around all my friends. I had a life. I had a idea of who Jim was. Um, but when this guy entered, you know, all my thoughts were diminished. My ideas were dismissed. You know, I was constantly on guard with what I said because the littlest thing would just throw him off and it would just cause wreak havoc with the whole family. His name was Sid, but even today, that name just makes my skin crawl. When they married, we moved from Green Mountain, where I grew up in Colorado, to Evergreen, which is about 20 miles away in the mountains. I went from high school where I knew everybody and had lifelong friends. I had goals. I had dreams. I had myself. I had a gym. Uh, I went to a new school and I was in a home where I didn't exist anymore. I went from a place of freedom and where I was growing up with my own ideas and dreams to a place of solitude, uh, of confinement. You know, Sid stole my voice. He stole my identity. Now, I'm not going to blame all my life's problems on Sid. I'm not going to blame the fact that I have MS on Sid. I am simply saying this, that there are situations in our lives that are defining. And this situation really did define me. And it's something that has stuck with me for so long, even though I can look back at it now and say that was bullshit. The way I was treated was not right. But it is still in my blood. And it is affecting me. It has been affecting me. It has been affecting me in my marriage. It has been affecting me in my thought process. Sid squashed my self-worth. You know, the importance of what I'm sharing with you about my rotten moments and my wonderful moments is that I have let them define me. You know, the reason they are prevalent and pertinent to my 45-year-old self right now is because they have been stuck in my body. I'm still looking at things sometimes from my 14-year-old viewpoint. Uh, you know, during my adolescence and into my 20s, I believed I was a victim of bad circumstances. I felt stuck because of what was going on in my life. And because of that, because of where I was, I had to rely on other people uh, for a place to live. I had to rely on my friends uh, to sleep over at their house. And I have had so much good fortune. I have had, uh, you know, John Coleman, Key Lehigh, Pat Forte, Clint Snyder. All these people have let me borrow their families so that I could live with them. And I have had a very good support group. But it wasn't my life. It wasn't mine. I was borrowing it from somebody else. Because of that, I never felt like the things around me belonged to me. I felt like something was always going wrong in my life. Uh, from when I was 14 to 21, I had built up so much anger and resentment for the way life was treating me. 
you know, I believed the good stuff was for other people. It wasn't for me. And, uh, because of that, I really numbed myself with alcohol. I built walls to protect myself from the, the pain that I was feeling. I didn't really have the right tools to deal with everything that was going on with my life. And so I made a lot of bad choices. Um, my drinking got me into a lot of trouble. Uh, and it during those times, I didn't make the choices to get me out of the situations. I was stuck there for a long time. You know, and now those situations are done. They're gone, they're over, and yet there are parts of them that still define who I think I am today. You know, when I'm negative towards myself, those things come back to me. And what Angela has helped me learn is that those past situations are the lies in my life. Everything that has happened to me has happened for a reason. And that I have always been worthy to be treated with love and respect. The biggest thing is that I've had to teach myself that I am worthy. So all my past pain has come back to me uh, because two and a half years ago, I had a major exacerbation that, you know, made me stop working, um, made me stop driving. Uh, you know, I became stuck. I, I had to rely on other people again in my life. I had to rely on them for everything. Um, I was stuck in my house. I was stuck in my mind. And all these old feelings came back to me. You know, that was the black cloud in my heart. Um, it was the visceral feelings of being 14 again. And sitting at that dinner table with Sid and having him degrade me, having him degrade my mom, my sister, and not feeling like any of us could do anything about it. Um, I have gone back to that dinner table with my work with Angela and I have felt that feeling. It is painful, but it is helping me move past it. You know, I'm 45 years old and my self-worth was taken away from me again through this exacerbation. You know, it didn't happen all at once, but little by little, as my self-worth uh, was diminishing, I'd have flashbacks of my Sid years, I call them. Old habits would kick in and I wouldn't handle situations. I'd feel like I did when I was 14 years old, you know, and it amazes me how Angela was able to take me back through this and help me realize it so I could see the big picture again. You know, I believe it is natural that when you have MS, you know, or any chronic illness, it's natural to be self-absorbed. I mean, you kind of have to be because you're constantly measuring your wellness and your status. I mean, every time I wake up, I put my feet on the ground and I think, Jim, how are you doing today? What do I need to do? What did I do wrong? What do I need to do differently today to feel better? However, you know, during the last couple months, I have been so self-absorbed that I haven't been seeing my family members as they truly are and noticing you know, how tough this has been for them as well. You know, when my symptoms were taking such a toll on my wife, and understandably so, she said, Jim, you know, take a look around and it isn't all about you. There are other people in pain in this house and it's not all about you. 
that was a real eye-opener for me because when she said that, it struck me that I have been in bed and my family has come home to see me in bed and it's painful for me to be there, but it's painful for them to see me there as well. You know, then add in my lack of ability to do anything, my lack of brain power to think through anything, and it knocked down my confidence even further. You know, I'm so mad that I can't be out in the world doing what I used to be that I've stopped looking for options. You know, there are ways for me to do things that I need to be open to first. I have to be, you know, there, there's times where I'm limiting myself because of my self-worth. I'm in a cage of my own making. You know, so everything I've talked about during this part of my MS journey isn't just about MS. It's about me, you know, and MS is a part of me. Yes, that, you know, there's a saying that says I have MS, but MS doesn't have me, you know, and sometimes I call bullshit on that saying because yes, I have MS, but to be perfectly honest, MS at times completely has me. It's like an octopus that has all its tentacles wrapped around me. It has my brain, it has my body, it has my emotions, you know, it has my heart. And through all the work I've done this summer, I have found ways to not only get those tentacles off me, but sometimes I may, I'm able to grab a sword and chop the, off those tentacles altogether so that they can't wrap around me like they have been in the past. You know, as I come out of this mile and a half long Eisenhower type pitch black tunnel that I've been in this summer, I have not only began breathing again, but the air is fresher. You know, the world looks better. As I drive down the road, I am very conscious of the fact that the same weights are not on me. You know, I look around and literally the colors are brighter. They're more vivid. You know, I've been noticing the wind and uh, you know, how it feels on my face. I've been noticing nature. I've been noticing the leaves. You know, just the world is mine again. You know, as I am doing better now, uh, I'm doing better physically and I'm doing better mentally. But one of the greatest things about coming out of this tunnel and not being so self-absorbed is that I have been able to see my family again, and it feels like I'm seeing them again for the first time. You know, I have a mantra that I say simply take care of my house. And what that means for me is that I'm not talking about the four walls I live in, but I'm talking about the people closest to me. Me, my wife and kids are my house. First and foremost, I need to take care of myself so that I am the best I can be so then I can be the best husband and best father I can be. When there's all kinds of things going on around me, I get overwhelmed and I just remind myself to take care of my house. It brings everything back into perspective of, of what's most important and it simplifies things so that I'm not trying to get overwhelmed and take care of everything uh, when I just need to take care of what's most important. You know, through all of this, my family has been so amazing and taken such good care of me. And now as I come out of the tunnel, I visualize myself taking care of them by taking responsibility for myself. You know, I have been so dilapidated with no physical or mental energy. You know, I don't have it in me to think through the process of even getting ready in the morning. You know, I rely on them. Uh, they have to pick up the pieces around me because I don't have it in me, in me to do it myself. But now, you know, as I'm feeling stronger now, and uh, I have a brain on my shoulders, I can think through things. You know, I've been doing the little things, and, and I mean the real little things. Like uh, in the 
bathroom, um, I actually just pick up the stuff that I leave on the counter so that when my wife goes in, I don't have saline solution and, and all the things that lay around that just clog up the day. You know, there's times when I walk around the house and I'm like, my God, look at all the things I've just left around. And when I am down and feeling horrible, I can't even bend down to pick up my shoes or to pick up the socks that I lay around. And all that stuff then leans on my family. Uh, It's the little things that have been helping the most. Uh, You know, picking up after myself in the kitchen, um, getting ready. And so when I say getting ready, I mean getting dressed and getting ready to go out the door. Uh, I have a really bad habit and everybody around me will say that I wait until the last minute to do things. So when I actually have a brain on my shoulders, I think through the process and I am proactive. Uh, I've been working really hard to be out the door and in the car ready for my family uh, so that they're not waiting for me. Now, that is a big deal because getting out the door, I am having a hard time walking and I am having to kind of struggle to get down the steps and then I have to hold on to the car as I walk around just to get in the front seat. But I think about this differently now. I see it through the eyes of my family and what a relief for them to walk out the garage door and see dad in the car in the front seat and they don't have to think about that. Yes, it's sometimes hard for me to do, but boy, is it nice to see the relief on their face that they don't have to think about that. You know, I'm coming out of the tunnel and my wife is coming out of the tunnel herself. You know, through this process, she has become completely empty because she was just giving, giving, giving to everybody around her. She is being the best wife that she can. Um, As I went through my exacerbation, I had to stop working. And so she is the CEO and she has taken on everything with our business. Uh, She is being the best mother she can. And so when I'm stuck in bed, she is driving everywhere and she is taking care of the girls uh, in every way, shape and form. And she is oh so good at it, but it takes everything out of her. There has been no way for her to fill herself up. So one of my greatest gifts as I have been taking responsibility for myself is I get to see the relief on her face. You know, like I said, when they walk out of the garage door and see me in the car, that's one thing. And that is all worth the trouble that this summer has been. Uh, You know, support partners don't get enough support themselves. And I was so self-absorbed in all my troubles that I didn't see or couldn't see the pain that my family was going through. And as I have taken care of myself and done these little things, that pain, I literally have seen it dissolve off my wife's face. And that has made me feel better about myself. You know, the reason I put myself through all this chaos and turmoil this summer is to get rid of the black cloud over my heart. And I have done so many things for so long that this is the first time, you know, maybe in my entire life that this cloud has been gone. You know, I have cried for the first time in years because I'm breaking down the walls that I have had for so long to protect me from the pain that I had as a kid. Those things have wrapped completely around to where I'm still protecting myself from the pain that MS has caused. 
you know, I literally have cried recently about my MS. I don't know if I've let myself cry that I have MS. I just protect and protect and protect because I don't want to feel that pain. And I have gotten so good at it over the years that by protecting myself that much, I have locked out feeling the good things in life. I haven't been a part of my own life. I came up with something recently, and if you can imagine, you know, reading a story to your kids, and you're reading the story about, um, you know, Prince Charming in the in the book, and and you can read about it, and you think in your mind, okay, well, Prince Charming should do this, you know, he should do that, or it's going to work out. And as the reader, you can look in that story, and you can kind of disassociate yourself from Prince Charming, right? You know, because I didn't want to associate with the pain and the hardships that the character in the book, me, was going through. So I have been the reader of my own story for a long time. You know, I'd like to think that like the book and like Prince Charming, things are all going to work out and it's just going to be happily ever after. Uh, But the fact is, my body is what it is and my mind is what it is. And so I practice every day to stay here. I, this is where I want to be. You know, it's kind of ironic that you know, I do a podcast called How You Really Doing? But when somebody asks me that question, I don't know how to answer it truthfully and, and authentically because I haven't known where I'm at or who I am. I have a lot of canned responses that I've realized is just a way for me to move the conversation past me because I haven't thought I was worthy to talk about my issues. Again, very ironic. Crazy, crazy, crazy that I can talk about it, but I can't always live it. That's why it's taking me so long to get this podcast out because I've been sorting through my emotions and trying to decide what I should share and what I shouldn't. Then I decided that I needed to share anything that came out of my mouth because in reality, great freedom comes with true vulnerability. And so that's what I'm doing right now being vulnerable, proving to myself that I can do it, and knowing that I'm worthy. You know, Everything I've talked about here connects with my MS because in order to live a full life, I need to be connected with my mind, my body, and my spirit. Because in the end, I want to be able to tell anybody how I'm really doing, and I want to believe it myself. I know that I have the power within me to heal and be the best person I can be. And I choose to be positive and believe in the truth that I am worthy. I hope in some way, shape, or form, my rantings here have helped you along your journey. You know, none of this is easy, but when I'm taking care of my house, it all becomes a beautiful place to be. I'm Jim Fairchild, and I hope you're able to answer the question, how you really doing?